0: Um, Hey, if you would, real quick, could you turn to the person beside you and respond to this question? What this week was the time that you were most alive? Okay? This week, when were you most alive? Maybe it was hanging out with family. Maybe it was hanging out with some friends. Maybe it was at work. Maybe it was when we were worshiping this morning. Maybe some of you are still waiting to see that moment come, you know. But whatever it is, if you could just turn to the person beside you real quick, what uh, has made you most alive? What moment during your week were you most alive? Okay, go. Okay, no more talking about fantasy football. Okay, I hope you were talking about what made you most alive. Okay, uh, the reason I uh, had you talk about that is because we're in the series called Flow, and the whole point has been how do we become alive with God in such a way that it's not just after we die and we get into heaven, but that we actually um, connect with Him. And we live fully alive in the here and now. And Jesus actually said that can happen. And he talked about this promised life that he's given to us. A life that we don't have to wait until after we die, even though we know we will have eternal life. But a way in which you are promised a life that you can live in abundance with God every single day. You can live with joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances he gives you joy to live through. And he gives us these words in John 10, 10 And Jesus says this. It will come up on the side screen. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more what? Abundantly. First celebration, I said, and so that they could have And people were like, like that. It was like real weird. So I'm glad that you realize you can live an abundant life. A life that's filled with the presence of God. And today, uh, wherever you are, whatever you've done in your past... However many times you've gone to church or not gone to church, been baptized, not been baptized, read the Bible, not read the Bible, prayed, not prayed. Wherever you're at on the spiritual spectrum, whether you've been to the jar for the 500th time or today is your first time, Jesus says that you can experience this type of abundant life that is referred to in John 10. 10. It's true. It's something to be very grateful for. Now, uh, if you want to remain in the promised life, though, because that's the thing. All of us want it, but how do you remain in it? How do you stay in the flow of it? Well, one of the things that we learned is that we actually have to get rid of some dirty rags, some things in our lives that we have to remove and we actually uh, have to put off. And we used an acronym called rags to determine these four uh, words. Uh, the R what's it stand for? Resentment. That's right. And the A what's it stand for? Anxiety. We want to get rid of anxiety and experience this peace. And the G stands for what? Greed. Any kind of mismanaged desire that you have in your life, you want to put that off. And then finally, what we're going to talk about today, the S is what? Superiority. Now, this last one, superiority, the reason why I want to talk about it today is because it is the one rag that I find most difficult for people in the church, people who are Christ followers to put off because it's very difficult to do so. Now, the text that we're going to look at here in just a little bit is from Romans 12, 3. And what Paul does is he goes straight after this idea of superiority and self-righteousness and smugness. But the problem is, when you try to do battle with superiority, when you go after a self-righteous attitude, it can be a very tricky thing. Because you start asking yourself, well, how do you do it? I mean... Just think about it. If you say, hey, I want to become more humble. And then all of a sudden you succeed and you actually become more humble. Then all of a sudden you're like, hey, I'm more humble. (laughs) Well, when that happens, then that leads itself to what? Superiority or an attitude of pridefulness. So Paul begins this in Romans 12, 3, and he says this. For the grace given me, and remember we said all of life is grace. From the moment you're born to the moment you die to the moment that you are in heaven, it's all about grace. Wave after wave after wave of God's grace into your life. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the measure of faith God has given to you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Think soberly. Just the truth. Now, I have a few objects here that I want to have us look at uh, this morning. Anybody know what this is? What is this? Some of you on this side are like, I have no idea. There, look at yourselves. Uh, uh, You know, like Vanna White. There you go. Uh, Or maybe that was Price is Right. I don't know what that was. But anyways, it's a mirror. Now, a mirror has the ability to tell the truth about yourself. When you look in the mirror, it tells the truth. Every line, every wrinkle, every blemish. Every gray hair, every missing hair, you can see it all shows up right in the mirror. Now, when you're a guy and you wake up in the morning and you look into the mirror, it's kind of a sad deal, actually. It's a sobering thing. Now, women, on the other hand, they have many options to, like, upgrade their face, you know, Uh, Men, unfortunately, we don't have that. For instance, think about some of the products that women wear. Concealer. (laughs) Think about it. Concealer. You put it on. Why? So that you conceal what is already there. Now, guys, on the other hand... When they look in the mirror early in the morning, the reason it's so scary, because they realize that's as good as it's going to get all day long. Like, it ain't going to get any better than that. And a year from today, it's going to be worse. I mean, it's going to be much worse. And that's the power of a mirror. What's this? You weren't as excited to say that, were you? Mirror! Scale, you know. Yeah, scale. And the uh, interesting thing about scales is that they have the ability to tell you the truth about yourself. Now, we often try to finesse ourselves, though, as we go to a scale. Have you ever noticed people, when you go to the doctor, and they're like, uh, we have to weigh you, they're like, great, I can't wait, go, bring it. People go like this, they kind of kind of mosey over, and then all of a sudden they do this number, Right? I better take my shoes off. That's at least 10 pounds right there. You know what I mean? And then, you know, if you're at home, you take your clothes off, take jewelry off. And then you even decide when you're going to weigh yourself. I'm going to weigh myself in the morning before I drink coffee or Cheerios. And whatever I have to pee and let out, I'm going to let all that out. And then all of a sudden, I'm just going to have light thoughts as I jump on. Hallelujah. Hey, there we go. You know, and then you're you're done. A scale. Anybody know what this is? Yeah, an x-ray. And an x-ray has the ability to tell the truth about yourself. If you want to be healthy, if you go in for an examination, it might be an x-ray, it might be an MRI, but... Both of those things, what they do is they look beyond the surface of who you are and it actually goes to the deepest part of you to try to find out, hey, is there a problem here? Otherwise, you would never know about it. If you want to be healthy, sometimes you have to go get an x-ray. You have to get an exam. Now, here's what I was thinking about all of these three objects. A mirror, a scale, and an x-ray. What if there was a mirror that when you looked into it, you saw every single blemish and wrinkle that was in your soul? Would you look? What if the scale, there was a scale that when you stepped on it, when you stepped on the scale, it showed you the sin content of your heart? Would you, would you step on the scale? The strange thing about human beings, about me and you, is that we go to long lengths to avoid telling the truth about ourselves. We avoid it. We run from it. In the Bible, in the New Testament, Jesus' brother, a guy by the name of James, he actually uh, wrote these words. He, he, he wrote that sometimes people hear the word of God, but they just don't apply it. Like they hear it, they don't apply it. They, they never look at their spiritual blemishes or their wrinkles. And in chapter 1, verse 23, James says this. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. He doesn't really want to look and see who he truly is. There's a book in the Old Testament called Daniel. It's a story of this guy named Daniel who was a prophet. And in that book, there's a prophetic word, there's a a, a prediction of the future that's given to the king of Daniel's day. And this king that Daniel gave this prediction to had a very high sin content. And one day, the king goes and he sees this big wall and he sees these words that are written on the wall, but he doesn't know what it means, so he invites Daniel to come in to interpret what this word means. And the word was tekel. And God had written this word, and Daniel interpreted it, and when he did, this is what it said. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. But the book of Daniel says that the king never humbled himself, He never really looked and told the truth about himself. That the scale had been weighing him down for a very long time, but he just decided to ignore it. And because he ignored it, he actually lost his very life. He died in judgment. The writer of the book of Hebrews says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's like an x-ray. It's what it does. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom He must give an account. It's like an x-ray. God probes underneath the surface and he knows exactly where your heart and your mind and your soul are at with him. My true motives, my honest desires, the secret things, God can reveal all those to me. You see, we're in the middle of the series called Flow, and we're coming to the end of it. And the whole idea that we've talked about is that the flow of the Spirit is around us all the time. Everywhere where, where we walk, God's Spirit is present. And the Spirit of God has the ability to tell the truth about yourself if you'll simply open yourself up. And He'll tell you the truth. And when He does, when... That happens. If you open yourself up to Him, you'll hear the truth, and one of two things will happen. One is you will hurt. (laughs) Sometimes the truth hurts, doesn't it? When you look in the mirror, when you step on the scale, when you get an x ray, it hurts. The second thing is, though, you will grow. Because every time truth comes into our life and we receive it and we accept it, we grow. And the big question of life for you and me and all human beings is this. Which do you want more in life, to avoid hurting or to pursue growing? You get to choose. Every day. Do you want to avoid hurting or will you pursue growing? What do you want more? Are you willing to look in the mirror, step on the scale, submit to the x ray? Now, those of you who are a part of Celebrate Recovery, or you've ever been a part of Celebrate Recovery, it's right up there. We have this big banner Thursdays at seven o'clock, it meets right here for all life's hurts, habits, and hang ups. And some of you are hurting right now, you got habits, you have hang ups, You're just not going. And you just keep on hurting. You just keep hurting and hurting and hurting. But if you took a step towards growth, your life could change. That's why Celebrate Recovery, I think, is the best best growth engine we have in the church. But if you've ever been involved in Celebrate Recovery, or you've ever been a part of any 12-step program at all, or you know about 12-step programs, you know that the idea that I'm talking about right now actually comes in step four of the 12 step program, which says this We made a fearless and moral inventory of ourselves. We made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Now, the problem with this step is not that people don't want to take the step. They just want to take the step with somebody else's fearless and moral issues. Have you ever noticed that before? No one has a problem taking a fearless moral inventory of the person sitting beside you. No problem whatsoever. My wife and I are driving in a car. All of a sudden we start talking about some issues in our life. I have no problem letting her know what she should put on her fearless moral inventory. It's easy. Because then I can focus all of my energy and think somebody else is doing worse than me and it actually makes me feel a little bit better. And that's why it gives rise to this whole superiority kind of business. Now Jesus taught about this In his most famous teaching, his most famous sermon in Matthew chapter 7. And he goes right at superiority. This is what he says. Do not judge or you too will be what? Judge. For in the same way you judge others, you will be what? And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the what? Speck of sawdust in your brother's or sister's eye and pay no attention to the what? Plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a two by four. Oh, that's my... Uh, there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brothers or sisters on. Now, when Jesus says that we're not to judge, he's not saying that we shouldn't have moral discernment. If you don't have moral discernment about some things, then you'll always go down the wrong path. You've got to have that. But what Jesus is saying here is that you should never condemn other people. Never. He's talking about assuming this position of superiority, of desiring to pass judgment on someone else. And isn't it interesting he uses two examples here? One is a plank. I I almost brought it this morning. I was going to try to get a two by four, but my arms aren't very strong. So I was afraid that if I got it up here, I'd like wipe out the front row. Okay. so just imagine there's a two by four in my eye. Right now, not anybody else's eye, my eye. It's in my eye. And the other thing that I have in my hand is a speck, a flaw, mistake, something that someone else did. Can any of you see this speck? It's microscopic, right? Can't see it. Now, here's the big problem with human beings, and Jesus is going after You know what your number one job is? It's not what you do. It's not your occupation, not your family, not any of that. This is your number one. You are a professional spec remover. More than anything else that you do well, you and I, we are professional spec removers. I look for specs in people all the time. I pretend to be distressed by them. I look at them, I go, oh my. I enjoy finding them. Sometimes I actually get satisfaction in knowing that someone else has some bigger issues than me, but they're just a small speck. In fact, did you know speck removal can be a spiritual gift? Like it's like leadership, teaching, giving, speck removal it's a hobby for some people. There are some churches, folks, that the number one thing that they work on is speck removal. That's it. You know, growing up as a uh, PK, a preacher's kid, I've shared this with some of you. My, my dad left uh, Marion, Indiana to go to Anderson in my ninth grade year. And I went into high school, and I didn't know anyone, and honestly, high school for me was a pretty lonely time. I just never had, like, very deep relationships, and so uh, the relationships that I had the most were at the church. And so I was kind of a weird kid, because some of you are like, you're still weird, dude, you know, and you're still a kid. No, no. But when I was in high school, I was kind of weird, and... uh, The reason I was weird, I thought, was because I always wanted to be around church people. And on Sunday nights, I was with church people. Sunday mornings, I was with church people. Thursday nights, I was with church people. Wednesday nights, I was with church people. I guess I didn't have a choice because my dad said, you're going to be with church people, you know, and that, that was pretty much it. Well... I was so weird that on Sunday nights, I typically would go to the Bible study that my dad taught in the chapel of the church because I wanted to learn more about God. And one day I walked in and I had a baseball cap on and I walked in and I sat down and I was the only person under 50 who was there and the other 10 people were over 50 and my dad was teaching and he was doing his kind of thing and then, you know, kind of like after the whole beginning of the Bible study, we broke up into groups and I still had my baseball cap up and Betty came to me and Betty went like this, you take that hat off. It is disrespectful to God. Take it off. Now I'd love to say that I was very humble and a Christ follower at that time and I just took my hat off and let it go. know, no big deal. But I looked up at her and I go, no, I'm not taking it off. Well, she had the audacity to kind of go to my dad then and say, well, aren't you going to do something? Aren't you going to at least make him take that off? And my dad, being cool enough, was like, no, I'm not going to make him take it off. He's the only one under 50 at a Bible study. I hope they all wear baseball caps. You know what I mean? Let them come. Now, here's the point, folks. It is not about the theology of whether or not a man should wear something on his head or not wear something on his head. That's another battle. Theologically, I just don't think it's the crux of why Jesus died on the cross. But I do want to talk about this issue of appearance. And here are two ways that you can think about the appearance issue. One, I grew up in a church In which appearance was a very important thing when you walked into church. And I'd love to say that I was the only one ever in the six years or so that I attended that church that ever got called out for wearing something that wasn't appropriate, but I wasn't. There were multiple people. That were and I can remember people going. Why don't people know how to dress more appropriately when they come to church? What's the matter with them? And those are logical kinds of thoughts. It's not irrational. It's logical. But there's another way that you can think about this issue. I'm so grateful to be a part of a church community where people who don't know how to dress to go to church feel like it. They can come to a welcome and safe place. To come and learn about God just as they are. And since the very first days of the jar, we've just never had a dress code. And I'm so grateful. Like, I'm grateful. Not because I'm the pastor, but because I'm a partner of this church. I am so grateful that I can walk into this place and people welcome broken people and messed up people and people who make mistakes because I'm one of those people. Not somebody else, me. And it just seems like such a simple thing, doesn't it? In Matthew 7, that Jesus is asking us to do, don't look at the speck in someone else's eye. Take care of the plank the two by four in your own eye? I mean, think about it. Why would anyone want to be walking around all the time looking for specs in everyone else's eyes? And yet the reality is, I do it and you do too. We hide it, we may cover it up, but we do it. And there's a reason why we do it. There's a dynamic in the field of social psychology that's called the self serving bias. That's what it's called the self serving bias. And basically, this is what it means it's a tendency to take too much credit for my success and too little responsibility for my failures, and then I just live in a state of self delusion. Anyone have this? Oh, you're all holy this morning, I guess. It serves my ego, it serves my need. To feel good about myself. So what I do is I walk through life in this world of self-delusion, thinking about my character and my competency in a very different way. Now this tendency, it was not only taught by Jesus and the biblical writers, but it's actually been researched a lot by different social psychologists. For instance, they researched automobile drivers. And this is what they found out. Most drivers think they are better than the average driver. So if we take 100%, it should be across the board that what? Like 50%? fifty No, 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 no. Most people, even the people who are like in the hospital and they cause the crash, they still think they're better than the average driver. How about pastors? (laughs) Great study I found. You know, I almost didn't put it in, but let's be transparent. 90% of all pastors rated themselves that they were above average in teaching and preaching. 90%. And these are the same people that have to teach on Romans 12.3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. That's messed up. I'm messed up. So 90% of the pastors believe they're in the top 50%. Think about that. How about marriages? Consistently, both spouses typically are like, I do more than 50% of the work. They both believe that. They both believe that they're doing more than 50% of the work. And how about one more? They did this. They took the self-serving bias and they explained it to people. This is what this means. Most people rate themselves as better than average in not falling prey to the self-serving bias. (laughs) Other people fall for that, but I wouldn't. I'm better than the average person when it comes to a self-serving bias. Think about that. Self-serving bias means that I'm becoming aware of my own sin. It's like trying to see your own eyeball. But you know why we can't see our own eyeball, right? It's because we have distorted vision. Because we have a plank. (laughs) A two-by-four. That's there. No wonder the psalmist said this. Who can discern his or her own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Folks, the one thing that you and I are very, very good at is deceiving ourselves. No one sees their own errors. We fail time and time again, and then we fail to tell the truth. And because we avoid the truth... We become filled with things like self-centeredness and hostility and corruption and evil. (laughs) And we don't even know we have it. That's why sometimes people can be heading down a road towards hell. And they don't even have a clue. It's why it makes it possible for some people, church people to think that they're really, really spiritual, that they're really, really deep with God, when the reality is their heart is a million miles away from God and God's kind of love. This is why as a Christ follower, if you're here for the first time and you're just checking out this God thing, if you want to grow, if you want to be in the flow of the Spirit, if you want the Spirit of truth, then you've got to do a self-examination. Examining yourself. You simply set time aside and you say, God, just tell the truth about me. Whatever it is, God. I can't do it myself. I need your help. Show me the truth about myself. I think the best kind of scripture for this kind of examination is in Psalm 139. And it says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. The psalmist is just like, I'm asking you, God, just tell me the truth about myself. Because I'm an avoider. I'm not a truth teller when it comes to myself. I can see the speck in everybody else's eye, but many times I'm blinded by the plank in my own eye. And only God, only God can speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And when He speaks truth to you, does He do it so that you can be beat down and made to feel guilty? It's not why God gives you truth. He gives you truth, as the psalmist says, so that you might be led to an everlasting way. You can get back in the flow of the Spirit. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to give you a moment for you to do some self-examination. And uh, I'm going to invite Emily Scoglin, who oversees our small groups, to help us in this process of uh, what that looks like. So um, Emily, come on up and you can uh, help us through that process.
1: Throughout this series, Chris has been teaching us about barriers that block the flow of the Holy Spirit from flowing in our lives. He's warned us against the dangers of resentment, anxiety, greed, and superiority. And I wonder today if many of you, like me, have been tirelessly trying to overcome these barriers in your life. Maybe for some of you, you have the, do- the desire deep inside of you that you really want to forgive that person that hurt you, but no matter how hard you try, the image of what they did just keeps replaying over and over in your head, and you can't let it go. Or maybe you've been trying so hard to rein in your anger, but you find yourself losing control again and again. Or maybe for some of you, you're battling anxiety, and it doesn't matter how many logical reasons you give yourself or how much you try to surround yourself by distractions, you can't take your mind off of all of those worries. Or maybe for some of you, you've been giving in to desires that you know are not from God. And you've even started to take steps down that wrong path. And no matter how hard you try, you just can't turn yourself around and start walking in the right direction. Or as you listen to Chris teach today, maybe you finally realize that there is a spirit of superiority inside of you that you never even realized you had. I think we come to a time where we realize we can't be good on our own. We can't be good enough. We can't do the right thing by ourselves. Our human efforts fall short. <clears throat> There was a man in the Bible named Isaiah, and he described it this way. He said, We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. And you know, our human attempts to overcome our sins and our failures and the things we do wrong, they're about as useless as a dirty rag. They're not going to get anything clean. But there is hope. There is hope because... Even though we are powerless, we have no power in our own strength to overcome these things. There is power in the name of Jesus. And there is power in the Holy Spirit who is here right now in this room, and He can help us to overcome those things in our life. So I want to challenge you today to take a look deep inside of yourself and ask. What is my dirty rag? What is the attitude in my life that is blocking the Holy Spirit from flowing through me? You all should have received a rag when you came in today, a blue rag. And if you didn't, raise your hand, and uh, we'll make sure one of our greeters get that for you. And then you should have a marker either on your chair or on a chair beside you. And I want you today to write down a word that represents the dirty rag in your life. I've already done this my dirty rag is anxiety and anxiety is something that i have fought and battled for a long time and today i want to make a commitment that i'm going to stop fighting anxiety on my own and i'm going to let god fight for me and so today my question for you is what is your dirty rag what is that sin that you just can't overcome on your own so i want you to take a minute now and quiet yourself before god And I just want you to listen to his voice and ask him, God, what is the dirty rag that's inside of me? And then I want you to take your marker and write one word that represents that rag. It could be resentment, anxiety, greed, or superiority. Or it might be something that I didn't even say, another struggle in your life. So I want you to go ahead and take a minute right now to ask God what your dirty rag is and write down that word. know at the side of the gym over here we have set up a cross and this cross represents the power of jesus not only to overcome death but also to overcome the dirty rags that are in our lives and so in just a couple of minutes i'm going to walk over to that cross and i'm going to throw down my dirty rag of anxiety and i'm going to ask god to fill me with his holy spirit to overcome anxiety in my life. And I'm going to go over to one of these members of our prayer team over here, and I'm going to ask them to pray for me that God would give me His Holy Spirit because I can't overcome anxiety on my own. And I want to invite all of you to follow me to that cross and to throw down your dirty rag and to ask God to give you the power to overcome it. But before we do that, um, I want to take just a minute and thank God and pray to Him Um, And just thank him for what he's done and the way that he helps us to overcome our dirty rags. So would you please pray this prayer out loud after me and we'll pray this together. God, thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit to overcome this dirty rag. Thank you that I don't have to do this on my own. thank you for sending me wave after wave 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 of your love and grace grace. amen Amen. now if you're like me and you want to be free from this dirty rag i invite you right now i'm going to walk over that cross to follow me and throw down your dirty rag and if you want someone to pray with you just stand in front of one of our prayer team members and they would love to pray with you take your time and then we're going to come back together and we're going to sing another song and just worship and praise God together. So I invite you right now to follow me to the cross.